the Son, therefore, shall make you free. He shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our Bible teaching for September 18th, 2011. And um, we're going to kind of segue off the current events for a week, although this heavily pertains to current events, what we're going to be covering today. Uh, we're going to kind of be doing a two-part study. And in the first part, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at the Gog-Magog War, the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the abomination of desolation, the rebuilt temple, the image of the beast, and the seven-year tribulation. It's kind of a Bible study. And the whole study, it's only five pages, but it's just pure Bible verses, essentially, with some, obviously, some comments added in. We're just going to kind of take a look here uh, regarding some of these subjects, which I believe that there's a lot of perceived um, information in the churches that is actually incorrect if you compare it with what the, the scriptures clearly state. And we're just going to be looking at what the Bible says, essentially. And, you know, you be the judge, uh, but we're just going to be looking at pretty much uh, several different verses uh, in the Bible regarding these subjects that I mentioned. So let's go ahead and start off by, I'm going to start quoting from Revelation 20, verse 1, and we're going to be going through verse 10. So the 10 verses there. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Okay, so Satan was bound a thousand years. It's important to get the full context of this verse regarding, or these verses regarding the subject that we're going to be talking about. And cast him into the pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So at the end of the millennium, thousand year millennial reign of Christ, the devil is going to be loosed for a season. Okay, Satan. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests in God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So here we have that reiterated again. Very important verse here. And shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth. Okay, so Satan is going to be let out of prison after the thousand years are expired. And he's going to go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And then it specifically says Gog and Magog to gather them to battle. The number of whom is as of the sand of the sea. Which is a very important part of this verse. Because people are it's being widely taught that Gog and Magog uh, are going to happen any minute with World War III regarding Israel. 
Everybody's looking for you know certain unions to form. They're they're looking at um, Gog and Magog of the Bible, and they're trying to say, okay, well these nations represent this now, and and so we're we're looking for these nations to join because there's going to be this Gog Magog war, and we're going to look at those verses in Scripture in Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, which specifically get into that. Now, how do we know it's the same? what we're in reference to here, because if you do a keyword search for Gog and Magog, the only time it comes up in, well, one time in the New Testament, that's here in Revelation 28, and now then, um, I'm sorry, has been updated. I installed Avast on my computer, and um, the reason I did so is because our site's been targeted so much lately, uh, with, um, I think it's just because it's it's really grown a lot to a certain extent, and we've been a targeted. We've had some complaints from listeners saying that they went up and, you know, my antivirus picked up something or this and that, and we've been working on it. And I thought maybe it was my antivirus, and um, I uninstalled the one I had and reinstalled Advanced and didn't pick anything up on my computer. So I know it's not coming on my end. It's just a matter of we're being targeted because of the type of information that we're putting out, so... Sorry about that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so, um, continuing back with the thought, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, the only time Gog and Magog are mentioned in the Bible, well, specifically together, is here in Revelation 28 and Ezekiel 38 and 39. And there's also a lot of parallels between these two where we know this is the same war that we're in reference to here, okay? Um, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, that's the only thing we would have, we, it's really the only conclusion I believe you could come to. And right here it says, <clears throat> and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle. Satan's going to be instrumental in this process because he's been loosed out of prison after the thousand years are up. And then it says, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Gog and Magog. Okay? And then the next verse. And they went up on the breadth breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, meaning Gog and Magog, uh, the beloved city is Jerusalem. Okay? And we're going to be able to prove that if you even look at Ezekiel 30 and 39. In Ezekiel, uh, Jerusalem is always mentioned in God's eyes, in that context, typically. I mean, I understand Jerusalem, there's been many times where the Jews strayed in these types of things. Uh, but Jerusalem in and of itself is referenced um, in a positive way in Scripture. So, <clears throat> so they went up the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Okay, so remember that when we, we look at these verses in Ezekiel. So we can have some correlation and comparison. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So at the end of this thousand year millennial reign, that's when the devil is actually going to finally be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Satan. Where the beast and the false prophet are. Who were in the tribulation period. Okay? So... Uh, after, you know, the uh, tribulation, the beast and the false prophet are cast in. Now Satan gets to join them. 
and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, so, now, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we do a keyword search for Gog and Magog in the Bible, you're only going to see it occurring. Um, you're going to see Gog show up somewhat in the genealogies, the word Gog, but it's not in this context, just genealogy stuff. I'm talking about when Gog and Magog are mentioned together, um, you're only going to see it happen, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, and Revelation 20, verse 8. That's it, in the Bible. So these are the verses that if we want to know about Gog and Magog, we need to go to those verses and look at what it's saying. And you're going to be, we're going to be able to quickly see, obviously here, hopefully we already can see that the Gog and Magog battle isn't going to happen to the end of the millennium. It's not even something that we're, really we should be concerned with. Not to say it's not interesting to study it, and we sure don't want to be deceived thinking that it's going to happen any day, though. That, that, that's the main point here. And a lot of people are just going around, oh, yeah, any, you know. And um, I'm not saying I hadn't uh, had that thought put in my head as well. But when I looked into it from the, the standpoint of looking at the scriptures, it's very obvious what's going on here. I mean, this isn't anything that's really complicated what we're covering today. But I'm going over it thoroughly so that there's hopefully no doubt in your head about what we're saying here, about what the scripture clearly teaches. It's not some nebulous thing here we're looking at. So, let's go to where the other use of Gog and Magog occur in the Bible. The only other time in the Bible. Ezekiel 38, verse 1. Now, I'm going to be going through most of the verses of Ezekiel 38 and 39. But not all for time's sake, but the ones that are pertinent to what we're talking about here. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them, and say, so again, we're talking about Gog and Magog here, and, the, and say, thus saith the Lord, behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. Now, remember, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, the scripture clearly stated in Revelation 20 that this was going to be at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Now, you have to ask yourself a question where we're reading some of these verses here. And hopefully this will make it even more obvious to you. Could this be happening now based on the way this is written, based on the context of these verses? Could this happen like any second? Here, regarding Israel, Jerusalem being attacked. Okay? Uh, let's see here. Behold, am I against thee, Gog, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal? I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor. A great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now hold on. If that was today, I mean, this is literal, and we're going to see this over and over again. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's symbolic. All those things are symbolic. Oh, okay, so the horses and horsemen are symbolic. Yes, that actually means tanks. Oh, I see now. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. Or, you know, army jeeps. Transport vehicles. All of them clothed with all sorts of armor. Even a great company with bucklers and shields. I mean, it says specifically bucklers and shields, which are implements of 
war, but in much more times past. But I'm getting to a point here. Because it seems as though from the context of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which do apply to the verse in Revelation that we just quoted in regard to Revelation 20 verse 8, that in the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, I can come to no other conclusion when I read this that much of the technology that we possess today is going to most likely be done away with in the millennial reign. Now, think about it. What has technology really, really done for humanity from a positive standpoint in today's day and age? Are we more holy than we were a hundred years ago? Oh, so much more. So much. I mean, you know, it's just a, a, a sea of holiness where we're at here in America. And I mean, you know, the whole video game generation and, and the computers and granted, computers from the standpoint of the internet getting out the alternative information has been a good thing because it's been a, a way for truth to get out. And I'm not saying all alternative information is based on truth. But beyond that, we're looking at these technological advances where they have exploded, particularly since the 1940s, 50s. Which is around the same time, coincidentally, if you go and you do a keyword search for the Grenada Treaty that I talked about, where our government actually entered into a treaty uh, that can be actually documented with these supposed ETs way back when, in exchange for technology. With the exchange that they could experiment on the human populace. Isn't it kind of funny? That's about the same time that all these abductions started happening. Isn't that crazy? There's no correlation, I'm sure. None at all. Um, Technology has exploded. And it is exploding at at an exponential rate. But has it it, um, done anything to produce a more godly society? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we all need to live like the Amish, or Mennonites, or whatever. But, the reality is, is it has been more of a curse from a morality standpoint than anything else. Technology. On a lot of different levels. And it's exploding, and it's going to continue to explode. It also has a lot to do, the technology has a lot to do with the supposed science advancements of, let's say, GMOs. Genetically modified organisms, which they're turning all the crops into, which are an abomination in the sight of God. They're corrupting the seed. Satan is corrupting the seed of everything under the guise of science and technology. Transhumanism. The the, the surgical advancements that, that make it easy for you to be a uh, he, she, transgendered in one easy step, or, or to get your surgeries to, you know, convert over from a guy to a, or a girl to a guy, are all of the, the things that they're doing um, on so many different levels with, like, cloning, and um, the DNA that they're inserting, the corrupted DNA that they're inserting into the vaccines that they're openly admitting to. All of this falls under the, the heading of technology. I'm not saying it's all been a curse or all been bad, but the problem is is Satan always gets in the mix and corrupts things. He can take something that if we would just be from a if, if we were from a biblical morality sense, if we had 
born-again Christian scientists and people like that using things to do good, that would be all well and good. But that's not the case. Most of the time, the people that are in charge of the highest level technology in the multi-billion dollar companies, in fact, almost virtually every bit of the time, these are evil people in evil organizations. So, it appears to me after, and I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but after reading Ezekiel 38 and 39 and some other verses that pertain to the millennium, that it seems as though God is going to move us backwards technologically to a time more like like when the Bible, like in Old Testament times. Um, and, you know, you could dispute that. I don't want to get into a gigantic debate with you. But I'm telling you right now, if we believe Ezekiel 38 and 39 are Gog and Magog, and we take this literally, then I don't see what other conclusion you could come to. I don't see anything in here about, you know... Rockets and um, helicopters and, I mean, can you imagine if technologically we were allowed to advance in the millennium, even without any help from Christ, where would we be in a thousand years from now? I mean, we'd be like in who knows what, little flying saucers probably, just like, you know, E.T. and his buddies are. E.T. and the gang. Anyway, um, so it says right here. I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, and a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Swords. Not M16s, not grenade launchers, not flamethrowers, swords. Okay. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. And again, it keeps going over these implements of battle, specifically stating these. Have you seen any modern-day armies with shields. I mean, I understand they have the riot control in the, in the streets, but I'm talking about, like, if an, another army was going to go to battle. You don't see a whole guy, a lot of guys with shields in, you know... They might have body armor, but not a physical shield. Uh, Gomer and all of his base... And, and, again, if you're disbelieving what I'm telling you, just follow along here, because I think the Scripture's going to bear this out more and more and more. Uh, Gomer and all his base... Now, this isn't Gomer Pyle... You know, from the old sitcom, from the... No, sorry, just kidding. Gomer and all of his bands, the house of Togamara, of the north quarters, and all of his bands and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and thy company, that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land. In the latter years... Okay, so this could, isn't something that has already occurred. Obviously, there would be documentation of it. It can't be occurring now because of what the Bible said in Revelation 20, verse 8. It's in the latter years. We're talking really the latter years. We're talking the end of the millennium. Okay, so in the latter years, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel. Israel has been brought back from the sword even now, to a certain extent. But I believe it's going to be brought back, according to the Bible, again from the sword during the tribulation as well. Obviously, you can prove that that point just reading uh, like Zechariah and these types of things. So, um, against the mountains of Israel, so again, we're, we're talking about Israel here, which have been always waste, but is brought forth out of the nations and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So at this time, 
the nation of Israel is dwelling safely before Gog and Magog come down to make war. Now hold on. If this were to happen, Israel isn't dwelling safely now. I don't think. I mean, I'm getting emails all the time. You know, Israel on the brink of war. Israel, I mean, they're, 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 if there was any nation on the face of the planet now that has not dwelt in safety, nor has it really ever dwelt in safety, even since the formation of it. You go back to like the Six-Day War and those types of things. Really, has it ever dwelt in safety? Not really. And it's only gotten worse and worse and worse and worse with the um, demonically inspired, satanically led aggression of the Muslims against Israel, whose stated goal, according to the Quran, according to many Islamic writings, is to basically wipe them out, every man, woman, and child. And ultimately to wipe out all infidels, which, according to the Quran, are non-believers of Islam. To drive them into the sea. Because they believe there's only one religion, and you either capitulate or die. Essentially. That's what they say. Now, if they're not in majority in a particular country, they'll come off like, oh, we're a religion of peace. Yeah, right. That's like saying Satan's a good guy. So, <clears throat> so this war is going to happen um, against the mouths of Israel, which have always been waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So at the time, before Gog and Magog come down, Israel's dwelling safely. That couldn't be said of now, that's for sure. It's anything but that. It's the exact polar opposite. So there's another confirmation. This cannot be now. And is it going to get any... I mean, regarding the tribulation, that's a whole other ball of wax. But this specifically stated in in, um, Revelation 20, verse 8, that this is at the end of the thousand years, after Satan is loosed out of prison for, for a little time. So let's go further. Ezekiel 38, verse 9. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm... This is Gog and Magog, the scripture's talking about here. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and the many people with thee. Hmm, sounds like a lot of people. It says, thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. Thou and all thy bands, the bands of the army. Well, remember, in Revelation it just said, meaning Satan, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Sounds very, very similar there. Well, if it's the same thing we're in reference to, we should get all kind of confirmations and cross-confirmations. That's what we're getting here. Okay, so let's go further. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that, that at the same time shall things come into thy mind. And thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely. Now, it says right here, um, they're going to go against the mountains of Israel, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely of them. So at the time, before Gog and Magog come down to wage war against Israel, they are dwelling safely. It says it very clearly in Ezekiel 38.8. Well, then it says, thou shalt say, I will go to the land of unwalled villages. They're dwelling so safely in Israel at the time that it's the land of unwalled villages. Can that be said now? No way. I mean, now, if, if, if you let, like, um, Islam, 
you know, wherever, whatever land you give them, which is just total insanity, all they do is move their rockets up closer so they can get them further in. So you have to have walls in Israel now. It's a matter of life or death. So this cannot be said about now. There's no way. I, I heard one guy one time say, oh no, this is about America. What? It says it, it says it's Israel right here. The land of Enwal, this, it doesn't even make any sense. If you look at the context of Gog and Magog in the Bible, just compare scripture with scripture. Compare where it's talked about. And this is the only place in the Bible, Ezekiel 38, 39, and Revelation 20, verse 8, where it's talked about. That's it. So, going further. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates. Well, I mean, if you would think about the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, you know, that would kind of make sense, you would think. I mean, and we're going to look at some verses where, you know, the Bible talks about, in regard to that time frame, um, uh, where it says that they shall beat their, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now, we're going to look at that more. But, in other words, no war. No war. Satan has been bound for a thousand years. There's no war. There's no need for walls and these types of things anymore. You can't not say that now, though. It's the exact polar opposite now. I mean, you talk about a tinderbox. You talk, talk about something that at any moment World War III could erupt. But that World War III is not going to be Gog and Magog. We don't need Gog and Magog to, to, have, world, to have World War III. And in fact, in, in order for that to happen, Russia would, would most likely have to be a major player. And I'm not saying Russia couldn't be a major player in World War III, but it appears now more it's going to be the Islamic nations, more to, you know, surrounding Israel. Again, you could dispute that too, I guess, but I'm just saying, it, who is their avowed enemy? Islam. Okay. Anyway, let's go further here. And you can't say Russia in and of itself is, I know, I understand there's, there's Islam's present in Russia, but you can't say it's the predominant um, religion of the whole area, you know. Not to say it's not growing, but, all right, let's go further here. So, they, um, I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. To take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. Most likely, the Israel, like, again, they have um, been gathered out of the nations, even returning to their homeland now, okay, uh, with the creation of Israel. And, that, and that's happening, you know, it has tended to happen more and more and more. That process is most likely going to continue. Okay, so let's go further here. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shall, that not, shall thou not know it? In other words, they're dwelling safely. They're easy prey. Satan puts this thought in their head because he's been loosed after the thousand years. Okay? That's what it says up here in Revelation. Why does this all happen? Well, right here. Uh, when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of prison and shall go to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And then it specifically says Gog and Magog. 
So, Gog and Magog are going to be the chief players, but it might be all the nations from all four corners of the earth as well, most likely to a lesser extent. And then it says to gather them together, the number of which is as the sand of the sea. Okay, this is not Armageddon either. Okay, this is at the end of the thousand year tribulation. This is an Armageddon. I've heard people make that. Like, this isn't Armageddon. This is totally something different. If you compare scripture with scripture, it's not Armageddon. Which is at the end of the seven year tribulation. Again, just study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. That's all we're doing today. Not because I'm so Mr. Smarty Pants. I got all this figured out. I'm not going to say the Holy Spirit didn't show me this, but honestly, it's really not that hard to see if you just look at it. Um, for what, just read the scriptures for what they are, without any preconceived notions, which is hard to do. I'm not saying if, if you've got a certain mindset and you read something and it's like, well, I thought it was this. Well, okay, but if the scripture says something contrary or totally opposite of what you're believing, then what are you going to believe? Your opinion that you were taught? Or are you going to believe what the scripture clearly lays out? And this is very clear. I think, so far. And we're only going to give you more confirmation here. So, um, let's go further here. To take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy and say unto God, Thus saith the Lord, in Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, Again, this can't be in regard to America. Okay, When my people of Israel dwell dwell safely, can that be said now? Oh yeah, they're definitely dwelling safely now. Fearing for their lives every day. Rocket alarms going off all the time. World War III. I mean, the, the, the Muslims are just worked up into a froth and fervor and fury right now, just wanting to kill them all. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen it so bad as it is now. And it's only getting worse. Okay. Uh, in that day when the people of Israel dwell safely, shall thou not know it, and thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses. Yeah, again, sounds like that could happen today. They're going to have a big horse, horse army. That's going to go over well. Um, yeah, if it was today, I'm talking. A great company and a mighty army um, and thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. Again, another confirmation of the latter days. And I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Thus saith the Lord God, art thou he of whom I have spoken of in old time by my servants, the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years that I would bring thee against them. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Now fire is mentioned here in regard to the fury that's going to come up in God's face against Gog and Magog. Fire of my wrath. Hmm, where did we just see that? Well, back in Revelation. 
Revelation 29. And they went up on the breadth of the earth. This is Gog and Magog. Whereas the sand of the sea encompassed the camp of the saints around about the beloved city, Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven, came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. This is it right there. Fire is mentioned specifically. Uh, it's just coincidence? I don't think so. Let's go further. Surely, in that day, there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him and, and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So fire is not the only thing he's going to use, but it's going to be one of the main things, if not the main thing that's used. It's mentioned specifically here in Ezekiel 38.19. It says, in the fire of my wrath. And then it says, I'll rain upon him overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Confirmation again of Revelation 20 verse 9 there. Which, you know, you'd expect to see this in the Bible. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, let's go to Ezekiel 39, which is the next chapter. Picking up, Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Again, the context of this chapter, which is a continuation from the last chapter, is a prophecy against Gog and Magog. Okay. And I will turn thee back and leave but a sixth part of thee, and I will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. Again, more confirmation of Ezekiel 38. And I will send fire on Magog. Here we go again. Another confirmation here. Third time fire is mentioned here. Again, concern, uh, uh, totally confirming Revelation 20 verse 9. Okay? And I will send fire on Magog, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Next verse, Ezekiel 39, 9. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, again, we're, t- we're dealing with Israel here, at the end of the millennium, long way off here for us, <laughs> and shall set on fire and burn the weapons both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Now, hold on. If this was a modern-day army, and they're like in tanks and armored vehicles and all these things, yeah, you could burn the gas, but that ain't going to burn seven years. But if they were primarily a wood-based weapon... Wood burns a lot slower than gasoline. You can't burn metal. Okay? But if there's things like leather and wood and whatever in there, because as, as, I, as I think this is stating clearly, the weapons of warfare are going to go back to a time like that of the Old Testament or, or even you know up, leading up to the modern day of technology. It seems very clear here. We're, we're literally talking about shields and bucklers and bows and arrows and hand staves, and, which would be like a, I believe, like a hand knife. And a spear, you know, spears have wooden handles typically, and they burn them with fire for seven years. Now, can you imagine any army being assembled today that would have this, these types of, of implements? Obviously, no. 
not anywhere near it. And is there any army today that would be that large where they were as of the sand of the sea? Like clouds that came over the land? They would have so many different weapons that you could burn them for seven years. Does Russia have an army like that right now? Or, or any of these other countries? I don't think so. If Satan is not is, is, is bound for a thousand years, think about this. I just thought of this now. Satan's bound for a thousand years. Okay? And there's no... This this demonic influence has been removed off the planet. Okay? And there isn't this agenda of death on earth. I mean, look, look at what Satan produces now every day with the abortion clinics alone. With... The Holocaust, through um, a lot of what goes on in the medical profession, and or the vaccine industry, and or starvation, and or easily preventable uh, diseases, or deaths, or, or malnutrition, or wars, genocide, you name it. All the deaths that are occurring today on a daily basis. Well, wow, imagine if... Humanity was allowed to procreate with all that garbage removed. You know, multiply, people multiplying this essentially without having to worry about this death agenda of the New World Order, which is the way that it would be during the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. Well, an army would most likely be able to get a whole lot bigger than anything we've got today. Way bigger. And that may be why they had so many of these weapons that they could actually literally burn them on fire for seven years. And again, that wouldn't make sense if it was all tanks. And and again, if you believe what the scripture is saying clearly, this is not symbolic. I mean, you could try to twist this around and and give your own... I'm talking, I'm, I'm reading you what it says, and I'm believing what it says. And all I'm asking you to do is do the same, because it clearly says we're dealing with shields, bucklers, bows and arrows, hand staves and spears, and they shall burn them fire in seven years. We're not talking about machine guns and tanks and rocket launchers and missiles, which couldn't burn anyway. And the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Oh, okay, no. I'm gonna, now I'm going to segue here. I'm going to segue to prove my point again. I'm going to go to Isaiah 2, 1 through, through uh, 4. Okay, And the word of Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the last days, now again, it says the last days here now, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the nations shall flow into it. Has that happened now? No. Is that going to happen during the tribulation? No. The Antichrist is going to have that seven-year period. And he's going to get, you know, destroyed, you know, at the end, but, at the end of the tribulation. But we're not in reference to the Lord's house being established on top of the mountains. Okay, that is directly after the end of the seven-year tribulation that that happens and then starts the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Well, in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and the nations shall flow unto it. Okay? Again, this is future. 
And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and we and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Specifically, we're dealing with that beloved city, Jerusalem. Okay. Now this is in the this is in the same time frame, but this is before the end. In fact, this is more likely talking about near the near the beginning to near the end of the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. Whereas uh, um, Revelation twenty uh, verse eight and nine is dealing with when Satan is loose for that little season and he's allowed to go out and deceive the nations, chiefly Gog and Magog, and then they make war on Israel and specifically Jerusalem. Okay, so. Verse 4, and he shall judge among the nations, this is the Lord, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. So, essentially, the implements of wars are going to be beat into plowshares and pruning hooks. What's a plowshare? Definition is an iron implement used in agriculture with an edge. Like it has an edge on it, it's used in agriculture. It's an iron implement. What is a pruning hook? It's an implement used in agriculture to prune a vine. Okay, so what is that saying here? That's saying that we're not going to have these wars during the millennium. We're not going to have that. Jesus Christ ruling, essentially, from Jerusalem, and we're not going to have this, Satan is going to be bound, okay? And the Antichrist and false prophet, you know, aren't going to be on earth anymore. That's not going to be an issue. So as a result of that, there's there's going to be no need, more need for wars. Okay, not that we need them now, but there's not going to be any impetus or desire, I believe, for it. So they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What does that What does that imply? That implies that we're going to be going back to a more agrarian type of society. I mean, these are specifically mentioned: their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And these are kind of like old-time implements of agriculture. Is that the way that things are going to go back to? It seems to be indicated here, just by the implements of warfare that they're mentioning. I do not. I believe a lot of this technology, which I truly do believe, based on um, knowing how technology particularly exploded with the computer age after the 1940s, knowing that I believe much of that technology was acquired from demonic sources. And again, listen to my study on the Grenada Treaty if you don't believe it. I mean, where did it come from? Did we just get all really, really mega smart overnight? Uh, I think there's a little more to that. And seeing the fruit that it has produced, the technology, and I don't mean, oh, well, everything's more convenient. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about overall, what has been the fruit? Are we getting more holy or more wicked uh, overall? As a, as a, um, in the world, we're getting more wicked. No doubt about it. And technology has a whole lot to do for it, with it as well. You know, it's made sin a whole lot easier to, um, procure certain things. Um, the technology has made, and it, it's just, you could go, I could do a whole study on that one particular subject. But it appears to me, from reading these verses that we're going back to a more agrarian society where war is not going to be um, something that's a factor, where people are going to be allowed to procreate without uh, having to worry about, you know, um, 
birth control or condoms or abortions or wars or pestilence or plagues, all the things that would decrease a population, in other words, all the things that would limit population growth, all of those are most likely going to be removed during the millennium, which would make sense, which would also make sense how you could have an army so big that it would take seven years just to burn their weapons. We don't have that now. I mean, I'm just, I'm, all I'm trying to do is, is be logical here. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at this from like, okay, I'm reading these verses. This seems so obvious now to me, what's going on here. Um, so, and he shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke, rebuke many people, and they shall bear, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There's going to be no need for war. Cannot be said of now. New? Uh-uh. I don't think so. This is during the millennium. This is not now. This is not during the tribulation either. This is after. It's very clear what we're dealing with here. Now, the four verses I just quoted from Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, are also almost verbatimly repeated in Micah 4, 1 through 3. If you want to know a little bit more about it, just read those verses and the verses after them. I'm trying to stay on point here and just really zero in on this Gog-Magog war. Because I can't tell you how many ministries out there just say, oh yeah, Gog-Magog any second. It It doesn't even remotely line up with Scripture. Unless you just totally ignore Revelation 28 and 9. Yeah, we'll just throw that one out. I'm not saying they're doing that, but you know, I don't know what the other versions of the Bible do to that verse. I don't know. Maybe they butcher some. That's why it's important to read the King James Bible. Alright, let's go further. Now, let's go back to Ezekiel 39.10. We're going to continue where we left off. So that they shall take no wood out of the field. Now, this is regarding burning these weapons for seven years. We're talking a lot of wood. And notice that it says, they shall take no wood out of the field. So they're wooden weapons. Granted, they've got, they've got metal in them, but there's wood in the handles and in the shields and these types of things. So that they shall take... No, let me, let, me just read the, let me just read this whole context here so you can really get this. And um, Ezekiel 39.9 And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields... And the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the hand staves, and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire for seven years. We're talking a massive amount of wood. And we're not talking something that, it's not like, you know, a, a spear is like a, a tree trunk. I mean, that's a little piece of wood. Well, if you get enough of them, though, it's a lot of wood. Okay, so, next verse, seven years. And seven, okay, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons of fire, and they shall spoil those that spoiled them, and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord. It kind of appears that for a time, Gog and Magog is going to kind of have their way. And it appears as though the reason that is, is because they've strayed. Israel has strayed, and... God has to use this Gog-Magog thing to get them back on track again, which is very typical if you look in the Old Testament, or New, with God getting people back on track. Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, 
Mean like getting a spanking, and if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. How many times in the Old Testament did God do that? Did God bring an enemy down on Israel in order to get them, try to get them back on the right track again? To get their priorities focused back on Him? Well, it's the same deal. Okay, so. Um, again, so they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire. Now, let me ask you a question. If this was in regard to today, is Israel out there? Number one, um, are really, are there any even force in Israel? I don't think there is. Okay, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that, that that's a big, I don't think they've got a lot of force they can go into right now to take wood out. Number two, is wood even a factor that much in Israel right now? I mean, do they use it, do they use it to, to, uh, to uh, fuel their wood-burning stoves? Well, no, they don't have that. They have electricity. Exactly. I don't even know if we're going to have electricity during the millennium. Okay? It literally may go back to the way it was Old Testament times as far as technologically. I don't know. I can't be totally dogmatic and I'm not trying to teach some strange doctrine. I'm just saying by reading the scriptures, it seems as though, I mean, wood wouldn't even be a factor now. Why would, why would it even matter? And they're not using it in wood burning, so they got electricity. Okay? But then, in the context of Ezekiel 39.10, it is a big deal. Why? Because they don't, they don't have to take any wood out of the field anymore. Neither cut down any out of the forest. For they shall burn the weapons with fire. Hey, we got all the wood we need. Again, more confirmation this cannot be in reference to now. Uh, some Gog-Magog war. Or, or even during the tribulation. This is not applying during the tribulation either. And they shall spoil those that spoiled them and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord. And it shall come to pass that in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel. Why? Because there's going to be so many dead... I mean, think about it. If they can burn the weapons for seven years, do you know how many dead bodies there's going to be there? Remember, it was like a cloud of people coming. We're talking a lot of dead people and most likely horses as well. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of the graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. Can you imagine the stench of rotting flesh by the who knows how many could be billions we're talking about here. Billions. Yeah, you heard me right. It could be billions. I mean, how could you burn just a little bit of wood in implements of war? Spear handles, arrows, bows. For seven years! That's a lot of wood. That means there was a lot of people there. Again, I'm just kind of stating the obvious, I think. I think all we're doing is stating the obvious here. So, uh, it will stop the noses of the passengers, and there, sh and, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the Valley of Haman Gog. This isn't the Valley of Megiddo or of Armageddon. This is different. Okay, Haman Gog means multitude of Gog. That's what the the word, if you translate it, that's what it means. Multitude of Gog. Okay? Because there was a multitude of Gog there that died. It's the name given to a valley of graves, ravine, or glen, 
known as the ravine of the passengers. And there's, they're saying, at least in this definition, it's going to be located on the east side of the Dead Sea. Okay, that's probably up to speculation there, but it's kind of interesting. Ezekiel 39.12 then goes on to say, next verse, And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them. So it's going to take seven months just to bury all the dead. And the whole house of Israel is going to be, Israel and other nations are going to be um, doing this. Seven years it's going to take to burn all the wood. They're going to have enough wood, and they're not trying to burn the wood. They're using it for a purpose. Um, they will burn the weapons with fire. They're probably using this fire in order to maybe heat their house or whatever they're using it for. Uh, cook food, I don't know. So let's go further. Seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that may, they may cleanse the land. You can't just leave all the dead bodies everywhere. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land, to bury the passengers of those that remain on the face of the earth. In other words, they're going to have to hire people just to come in that were passing through the land to bury all the people that remain on the face of the earth. There's going to be so many, Israel isn't going to even be able to handle them all. That's a lot of dead people. And I mean, you can't even imagine the stench. And then it says, to cleanse it, and after the end of the seven months, shall they search. And the passengers that passed through the land, the people that were just kind of passing through the land, that were hired to do this, when any seeth a man's bone, in other words, if they find another dead body, then shall he set up by it a sign set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. In other words, there's going to be dead bodies they missed that were buried in the ground, and these guys are going to go out into this valley, or, or into this battlefield where God destroyed them all, and rained down fire and brimstone, and hailstones and things of that nature that we mentioned before. And they're going to go out, oh, we missed one. And they're going to put up a little little sign by like a little, maybe a little flag or something like that, to mark it, so that the barriers can come and get it and bury it in the, in the valley of Hamangog, which is where they bury the multitude of Gog, which is what Hamangog means. It's going to be the burying place for this gigantic army. Uh, and also the name of the city shall be called Hamaniah, or Hamanah. Hamanah, which is, I, I believe, um, the city near Hamangog, which is going, future tense, this is future, okay, equals, uh, means multitudes. The name of the city to be founded to commemorate the defeat of Gog. Not a city that's, you know, we're dealing with yet. It's future. Thus shall they cleanse the land. And now, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you and a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood. He's saying that to the birds, essentially, the feathered fowl. Okay, because there's going to be more than enough food for the birds. The birds aren't even going to be able to eat it all, in other words. Okay, um, that you may eat flesh and drink blood, thus ye shall be filled at my table 
with horses and chariots. There's going to be a lot of dead horses. I hate to say that. I mean, I like, I love horses, but there's going to be multitudes of dead horses, and there's literally going to be chariots. Why would they? Why would they, would they all just be riding horses in the battle? No, they're going to literally have chariots. So that's another thing they're going, they're going to most likely be able to burn, because not all the chariot is is metal. Okay, it would be too heavy if it was a metal chariot from top to bottom. You know, so. The horses and the chariots with, uh, and then it says, with mighty men and men of war, saith the Lord. And again, this is literal. This is horses and chariots. We don't have that now. Nor are we going to have that in the tribulation. So, the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. They had strayed. I'm not sure when Satan is loose for a season, that he didn't cause them to stray, and this is like prior to the Gog-Magog war, it's kind of hard to say. Kind of hard to be dogmatic about that. Whether they had just maybe dwelt safely for so long, and you kind of, that expression, you know, you get, you know, complacent, and and there's no adversity, and then you start, you know, idle hands are the devil's workshop. I don't know. It's not for me to judge. I don't know. It's way in the future. But for one reason or another, uh, because of their iniquity, they went into captivity. Uh, because they trans- trespassed against me, this is back to Ezekiel thirty-nine twenty-three. Because they trespassed against me, therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. And against by the sword. It's not by rocket launchers. It's not by a nuclear bomb. If that were the case, if we had nukes, they could just pull back and nuke it. If they wanted to, I mean, you know, if we had those weapon capabilities, why would they send a billion or a ten billion man army in there when they could just nuke it? They're not going to be able to. I don't believe we're, they're even going to have that technology. Not to say they do that now either, you know, because they want to preserve Jerusalem Islam, but... Anyway, according to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them and hid my face from them. Thus, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses, whereby they have trespassed against me. When they dwelt dwelt safely in their land... And none made them afraid. So again, before Gog and Magog did what they did, and God used Gog and Magog to come against them, to chasten them, it's very apparent, and that's probably the very reason that Satan was loosed as well. Satan did God's bidding, essentially. He worked in regard to uh, like a chastisement from, from God. That, that's, God used him. You see that all throughout Scripture. So, and again, it says, when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. Can that be said of now? No way. No way. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of, the enemy, out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen, but I have gathered them under their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Okay, hopefully that's clear. Um, I, I, I don't think it's too complicated. 
what we're in reference to here. Um, let me go ahead and uh, the next part of the study, and I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to complete this. Uh, I think I am. I'm going to go ahead and try to get this in here. It's very important, though. Okay, the next part of the study is the abomination of desolation, the rebuilt temple, the image of the beast, the seven-year tribulation Bible verses. Okay, now, the Antichrist will enter the rebuilt temple most likely at the midpoint of the tribulation and proclaim himself to be God. Now, I'm going to give you all the scriptures that prove all this stuff. This isn't a theory. I'm going to give you all the scriptures that prove what I'm saying. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day... And what is this in reference to here? Well, it says, by our gathering together unto our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if you go to verse 1 and verse 2 of 2 Thessalonians. By our gathering together unto him. That day of Christ is at hand, okay? So, whether you want to say that that's the rapture of the church, and again, whether you believe in uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, okay? It says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day... Meaning, our gathering together to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. This is the apostasy that the Bible's in reference to of the church, which we're in full swing with right now, and that man of sin be revealed. So, not only is the falling away of the church has to happen, but the man of sin has to be revealed in order for this rapture to happen. That hasn't happened yet. So a lot of people say, oh, we could be raptured at any moment. That's not true. Even if you believe in pre-trib, okay, and I'm not here to argue about pre, post, or mid, but I'm saying even if you believe in pre-trib, the man of sin has to be revealed. Well, he has. It's Prince Charles. Oh, come on. Come on. Prince Charles. Or, or whatever. His son. Okay, you could argue about that all day long, too, but... The man of sin has to clearly be revealed. Okay? It hasn't happened yet. The son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What temple? The rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. The only temple God would acknowledge. He's not going to acknowledge a temple in the Vatican in Rome or um, wherever. He's going to acknowledge the temple. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go back to temple sacrifices and that God inspired them to do that, but they are going to go back to that system. The Jews have been setting up to go back to that system for a long, long, long time. Because they still don't collectively understand what Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made for them on the cross, paid their sin debt. They still don't collectively understand that. The Bible says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile come in. They're blinded to that fact collectively. Not all, but collectively as a nation they are. They have not had their eyes open yet. They haven't got to the point in Zechariah where it says they're going to look upon whom they pierced, meaning Jesus Christ, even though it was a Roman centurion that that drove the spirit through his side, the Jews collectively put him on that cross. I'm not condemning the Jewish nation. I'm just saying, I'm just stating facts here. Okay? They said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Crucify Jesus Christ. They said that to Pilate. 
let his blood be upon us, that's what the Jews said, and our children. They said that. They collectively brought a curse on themselves when they did that. I'm not holding them to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. And, and I love the Jews, and I want them to get saved, and I want them to get their eyes open. I'm just telling you what happened. And I did a whole teaching on this. It's the, um, the biblical reason for the Jews' affliction. I think it was something of that nature. Just key in either Israel or the Jews or affliction in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. You'll see it. I just go through the Bible, what it says. I don't have any axe to grind against the Jews at all. Okay? Um, but I'm just telling you scripturally what the scriptures clearly teach. So, anyway. Um, okay, so that he is the temple. Okay. So, he's going to be... The man of sin is going to be revealed... And then it's going to get to the point so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, this is when we're talking about the abomination of desolation. But I'm going to give you more verses to confirm that. I'm not just going to give you one verse and say, oh, see, I proved my point. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses to prove what we're saying. Okay, so, also, a comment here. There has to be a rebuilt temple for this verse to be fulfilled. God, have a, We don't have that yet. Okay, and you can't build a temple in a week. Okay, not the type that's going to, you know, not the type that the Jews are going to have to build. It's going to take a while. Okay, then uh, if we go to Daniel nine twenty seven, and he, this is in reference to the Antichrist, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Okay. This covenant is most likely going to be this covenant that he enters into with Israel and other nations. He's going to come as a man of peace. That's what the Bible says. The Antichrist is going to come. Well, it's a false peace, but he's going to come as a man of peace, appearing that he can actually make everybody play nice. He's got the Middle East situation figured out. He's the only one that can bring peace to the Middle East. Okay, He and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Well, that means a real week. No, it doesn't. And we're going to prove it doesn't mean just a week, like seven days. It means seven years. We're going to prove it. Okay. Um, and most likely, this is a treaty that is going to be instrumental in bringing about the end of World War III and also then ushering in supposed peace in the Middle East. He's going to conquer many through peace. Okay, so... Um, this is how he's going to do it. And they're going to enter into this covenant with him. I mean, if, if, you, if you, you make an agreement with Satan, it's not a good thing, essentially. I mean, the Antichrist is, is essentially like, like entering into an agreement with Satan. Okay, and then it says, and in the midst of the week, meaning at the midpoint of the week, 3.5 years, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. What do you mean sacrifice and oblation? The sacrifice and the oblation taking place in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. That's what it's in reference to. Now that's Daniel 9.27. Let's read 2 Thessalonians 2.4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's going to... I mean, what an abomination that is. Okay? But he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. The Antichrist is. In the midst of the week, at the midst of the... Of the and then we're going to start the Great Tribulation from that point forward, essentially. 
So, um, meaning, okay, can, let me, I give a comment here. Meaning in the middle of the tribulation at 3.5 years, the Antichrist will enter into the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem and commit the abomination of desolation. Now, we're going to see more verses below for clarification on this matter. And then it ends, Daniel 9.27 says, And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation that is determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. This is the abominations of desolation um, in Daniel that Jesus Christ refers to. This is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation, 3.5 years, in the middle of the week. I, I just don't see, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's a three point. It's a three-year, three-point-five-year tribulation. I don't see that. I'm sorry, not in the scripture I don't. And I'm going to prove it. Now, this abomination of desolation is also referenced here. Matthew 24, 15. Jesus Christ talking. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the Daniel the prophet. Where did he speak? Right in the last verse we just read. Daniel 9, 27. The abominations that shall make it desolate. Jesus Christ said, When ye shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Mark 13.14, Jesus Christ speaking again, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. Hmm. Now in the other verse it said, stand in the holy place. This one says, standing where it ought not. Let him that readeth understand, let him that is in Judea flee under the mountains. Daniel 11.31 And the arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. Huh, is, doesn't that kind of sound like what it just set up in um, Daniel again? It said that they're going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. This is another confirmation in Daniel 11.31. And they shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. It seems to be some type of thing that they're going to place. It says, when you shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. It's something that can actually stand. Hmm. And then it says, here in Mark 13, 14, it says, when you, sh when you shall see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not. And then here in Daniel eleven thirty one, and they shall place the abomination that make it desolate. Hmm. And it's also in conjunction with taking away the daily sacrifice. All these verses are confirming all the other verses. Cross-confirmation everywhere we're seeing here. Let's go more. Daniel 12, 11. And from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, okay, this is this is midpoint of the tribulation here, and the abomination that make a desolate set up, it's going to be something that's actually set up, the sacrifice is going to be taken away. Now we've got three verses confirming this, just, just on the stopping the sacrifice. And those same three verses confirm that there's going to be some kind of abomination that make a desolate set up in the holy place of the temple, rebuilt temple in Jerusalem at the midpoint, 3.5 years. Well, why doesn't he do it at the start of the tribulation? Because he, he, he doesn't want to like play all his cards at once. He needs to get three, he needs to have 3.5 years to get everything kind of rolling and going. The Antichrist. Then he's going to show his fangs. Not only that, uh, he's going to play by God's timeline. This is, you know, the devil doesn't get to decide 
when things happen and when things don't happen. The Lord Jesus Christ on the throne, sitteth, sitteth, who sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, uh, they're the ones that make these types of things. They're the ones that make the call. The, the scriptures have already been written. He will play by that timeline as a result of this. Okay, so let's go further. Let's really prove out this thing about the seven-year tribulation. Okay? Daniel 12, 11. Here's more confirmation for you. Okay? And from that time that they that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up. Okay, so we're in reference to that 3.5 year, right in the middle of the tribulation. The daily sacrifice and the oblation are going to cease. And then the abomination of de- make, uh, make a desolate is going to be set up. The temple is going to go in, or the, uh, the Antichrist is going to go into the rebuilt temple and proclaim himself to be God, according to 2 Thessalonians, as we read earlier. All this is going to be happening in the same time frame. So, and from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make a desolate set up, there shall be a 2,190 days. Okay? My comment, or basically 3.5 years, which when comparing scripture with scripture, see Daniel 9.27 that we just read, this would confirm that we are dealing with the seven year tribulation period. Okay? That's how, that's one of the ways we prove a seven year tribulation period. Okay? Because in Daniel 9.27, it's saying that, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So in the midst of the week, and the seven-year tribulation, um, he's going to ha- cause this to happen. Now, it says here, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that make it desolate set up, a thou- uh, there shall be a thousand 290 days. That's how long it's going to be. It's the midpoint of the tribulation. There's going to be 1,290 days, or basically 3.5 years until the end of the tribulation then. That's what it's saying here. It's a it's seven-year tribulation. And I can't tell you how many people now just say, oh, it's three, it's three and a half years. Like, where are you getting that from? I mean, it, it, if we compare all these scriptures with one another, it's very obvious what's going on here. I'm not... I mean, I'm not want to like say I'm, I'm mad at anybody or whatever for believing that. It just seems I'm just saying if we look at the scriptures, it seems kind of clear. So now this abomination could also be in reference, in part, to the setting up of the image of the beast, the quote image of the beast mentioned in Revelation. Because it's kind of weird. It is it's not going to be. This is something that's actually set up and stands in the holy place that they set up. Okay. Well, could it be in reference to these verses that I'm just about getting ready to read? Revelation 13, 14 says, And and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. Okay? So, meaning the image of the beast of, essentially, the Antichrist, which had been wounded by the sword and did live. Okay? They're going to make up this image of the beast. Okay? To worship. Okay? And the false prophet um, is going to have a lot to do with that whole process. Let's go to the next verse. Revelation 13, 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak 
and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Is this what they're going to set up in the, in the rebuilt temple? I think there's, there's nothing other in scripture that I could see that they could actually set up where this would be actually the case. Revelation 14.11, and the smoke of their torment, and this is after they're, they're judged, essentially, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Another verse, Revelation 15.2, uh, and I saw, as it were, the sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image. This isn't going to be just some little satanic parlor trick. I mean, this is a big, big deal. They had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image. And over his mark. And over the number of his name, 666. Stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. That is what I believe is going to be set up in the temple. Hopefully we've proven... Uh, the points that, that we wanted to cover here today, um, and again, the, to reiterate that, we're, we were looking at the Gog-Magog War, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, the abomination of desolation, the rebuilt temple, the image of the beast, and the seven-year tribulation, and the midpoint of, of that, the 3.5 years. And we're, we were looking at the actual length of time there. So I went over my time for today because a lot of people like to put these on CDs. So I'm going to go ahead and end part this part, and we're going to go to the next part of the study. We're going to totally shift gears into another subject next. So, God bless you. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com Please help us continue this work to support this ministry. Our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.